On today's episode, Rethinking Hydration with Andrew. Welcome to the Run Smarter podcast, the podcast helping you overcome your current and future running injuries by educating and transforming you into a healthier, stronger, smarter runner. If you're like me, running is life, but more often than not, injuries disrupt this lifestyle. And once you are injured, you're looking for answers and met with bad advice and conflicting messages circulating the running community. The world shouldn't be like this. You deserve to run injury-free and have access to the right information. That's why I've made it my mission to bring clarity and control to every runner. My name is Brody Sharp. I am a physiotherapist, a former chronic injury sufferer, and your podcast host. I am excited that you have found this podcast and by default become the Run Smarter Scholar. So let's work together to overcome your injury, restore your confidence, and start spreading the right information back into your running community. So let's begin today's lesson. Welcome back, Run Smarter Scholars. Um, we have Andrew on the podcast today. I was introduced to Andrew um, through Joe Corsione, who hosts um, the podcast, Everyday Ultra, and I was chatting with him. I'm actually rehabbing one of his injuries at the moment and turning it into a YouTube channel, and he, he's a great guy, but well, I was sort of mentioning YouTube, mentioning like maybe some sponsorships for the podcast um, and sort of getting involved with some sort of companies. He's like, have a chat with Andrew. And, uh, luckily enough, he's an Australian, as you'll see in this interview. Um, and we bring up a lot of interesting Aussie, uh, concepts and sports and topics that, you know, you're probably not used to hearing on this podcast, but, um, I just jumped on to chat with him and he has a product called prepped, uh, P R E P D, which I put in the title just so, uh, you can um, have a look at that. And he opened my eyes to a different way of thinking about fueling and hydration, which is why I named this Rethinking Hydration, because um, he's got this science-backed um, approach and a different way to not only just replace fluid, but to retain fluid. And it was an interesting conversation that I had with him. And I said, you know what, um, let's just have our first... <clears throat> our first sort of step of um, getting to know each other, just jump onto the podcast, let's have a chat. And thought he sent me some papers and sent me some research and some information um, beforehand and I was impressed. And so I think you guys will love this and here we go. Andrew, thanks for joining me on the podcast today. Oh, Brody, thank you very much for having me. Great to be here and uh, looking forward to a, uh, a nice chat about running. Yeah, looking forward to this topic. Um, before we dive into the content itself, um, would you mind just introducing yourself and I guess your um, clinical background or your expertise in this um, particular field? Yeah, so Andrew Perry, uh, CEO at Prepped Hydration. Uh, my, my background really came from 20 odd years in, I guess, the sports space, sports management, um, working in you know, the fitness industry and with sporting teams and those sorts of things. And that sort of led me to, um, I was training for the New York Marathon and that's what led me to effectively be a guinea pig for prepped hydration when they were in 2017 trying to commercialise the product and they were going through some research and development to try and get the product to be palatable for consumption. Um, and so, yeah, I used it on a few runs whilst I was training for New York and um, initially 
I guess those long runs when you're at the back end of a training program for a, for a marathon, uh, I didn't really notice much difference. But um, yeah, I did certainly pulled up really well after New York and happy to talk about that a bit later on. But fundamentally, my side sits in the business background um, and commercialising things is, is where my expertise lie. Yeah. Did you have any um, hydration issues in the past or like any cramping or any, any things like that? Yeah, well, I guess when I was training for New York and, and probably for, you know, four or five of the marathons that I've run, I, you're just trying to cram them in around working full time. Um, so you, you're running at the back end of a day after you've been in and out of meetings all day or you get up first thing in the morning and try and get it done. And so absolutely cramping and fatigue. Cognitive fatigue was probably the, one of the bigger things I've, I realized as well. I, I used to cramp a little bit, but not a lot. But that cognitive fatigue, the... The little man or woman that sits on your shoulder and talks to you when you, you know twenty k's into a run or fifteen k's in, saying, "Oh, you're tired, you're exhausted." That's probably one of the things I've really noticed um, with the prep products and using them regularly is that 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 personal um, little voice in your head sort of yes, they still sit there from time to time, um, but you know that cognitive fatigue has certainly been pushed back. And yeah. then the other part is, I guess, yeah, better quality of sleep as well because you, you hydrate faster. So. Certainly suffered cramping, and uh, in the lead into New York, I was uh, I was limping to the start line with calf cramping and and just really tight calves. So uh, so it was a it was a godsend that I stumbled across this product. I can tell you that much. Yeah, and I think most people can relate to that cognitive um, issues that they have. They're sort of battling their own mind in some ways. Those who have run a marathon before it's a grind both physically and mentally so i think most people can relate um we're going to talk about the prepped stuff in a second um i, I wanted to sort of start at least setting it up with athletes and what their i guess normal or previous to you know using prepped what their hydration strategies would normally be like um if you've been working with athletes or runners um, and any particular areas, what you believe um, an athlete can get improvement in? Yeah, it's a great question. And, and I said straight off the top, I think one of the things that we we have dealt with, and this is dealing with you know, Ironman athletes and Olympic level running athletes and these sorts of people, is every single person has a different sweat rate. So depending on your sweat rate, depends on how much fluid you need to replace. And so I've find that if people know or have an understanding of their sweat rate, and that doesn't mean you need to go and do an exact science test, but just a simple way in and way out before you go for a run. Um, so you get an idea, I ran for an hour, get back, uh, you drank 500 milliliters on the run, you're two kilos down on the scale. So effectively you've lost two and a half kilos in an hour. I mean, that's a pretty heavy sweat rate. It could be, it could be you're down a kilo. So, okay, you've lost a kilo and a half in an hour. But you've got to be able to replace those fluids. Um, and if you don't replace those fluids, you probably get away with it. For 10Ks, you can get away with it for a half marathon to a degree. Um, but you'll certainly see some performance decrease at some point in time. So I, my call out and, and the thing we learn with dealing with these elite athletes is they, they are, I guess the elite athletes are finally tuned and understand exactly what their sweat rate losses are and then how to mitigate that during, a, during an event, whatever event that would be. Yeah, I think that's um, a pretty good, uh, pretty good advice there because a lot of the people listening to this podcast, they'll be recreational runners, so not elites, but they'll love running marathons and they'll love doing the long distance stuff. And so I guess 
identifying what your sweat rate is because yes, everyone's quite variable, but also the conditions are quite variable as well um, from year to year, race to race, season to season. So um, is there any tips on, I guess, the how to measure or how to sort of hone in on what someone's sweat rate might be? Yeah, it's a good, just on a climatic perspective as well. I mean, it's really interesting. People will train for a marathon and then they'll land in a destination um, to participate in that marathon and the climate is completely different. And you can't, you can't train for that, you know, because you're not going to go on a training camp as a, as a recreational runner. Um, so I guess that's why, you know, one of the things that I guess is a bugbear for me is people saying, well, I'm going to do a bucket list event. Uh, and they get to the bucket list event and let's say, you know, they've trained in Melbourne or Adelaide or Hobart and they've decided to go and run the Gold Coast Marathon. Um, and they get to the Gold Coast. Yes, it's in the middle of winter, but the Gold Coast is a hell of a lot warmer in the middle of winter than it is in the southern states of Australia. Uh, and so therefore, they've got through their training block okay, but on race day, they, they hit the wall really early and struggle. And it's fundamentally dehydration because their sweat rate would be much higher. So to answer your question... In, look, the easiest way to to do it from an amateur's point of view is to understand, yeah, what you weigh yourself before you leave, weigh yourself after, and be right across that that information, um, and and then speak to a sports dietitian as well. Like sports dietitians are fantastic resources for the recreational runner to understand these sorts of things and what they need to do and how to fuel their body. Um, would be my my you know two two bits of information is yeah, know what you're losing. And, and do it regularly, like you need to be able to do it back to back on different runs and, you know, you're not going to get the same climate from a Sunday long run from one week to the next run. But if you do it for a month or so, you will get a bit of a gauge of how much fluid you're losing per hour um, yeah. and, and then you can just work from there. I did mine. Um, for those who um, have bought and read my book, I had I shared a bit of a chapter in there about me um, documenting my sweat loss and yeah just as you say just weighed myself um immediate before and immediately after exercise and making sure that like um i had all my clothes off so there's no like dampness stuck in there so yeah yeah. all the clothes off chuck on the scales and found out well i did it in a number of conditions so i'd say okay um the weather was this hot it was this humid um this was my intensity levels at that, and that was, and this was my duration. Mm-hmm. And I did it for workouts, I did it for runs, I did it for um, a bike ride, and just tried to just gather um, just a bit of data. It only took a couple of weeks before I started to hone in on, you know, this time of year, this is how much I'm losing. It turns out I don't really sweat that much. Um, I was losing maybe, I think, 300 grams per hour or something along those lines, and that was. Um, during some of the more intense sessions, I probably got to like half a liter per hour. And so um, I was talking to Andy Blow, who's precision hydration. He was saying, yep. yeah, you're in the low sweat rates. Um, 100% you are. Yeah. And so that well, that was in winter as well. So I should say that. Mm. And most of my exercise was in the morning. But um, yeah, that was interesting to sort of hone in on. And now I know that if conditions change, if it's a hotter day or something, I'll you know, adjust to that, but at least know what my replacement strategy should be like. And if someone's a leader or two leaders, then they'll need to account for that as well. Yeah. Um, okay. So when it comes to the product itself prepped, um, how is it different from just like hydrating yourself? Cause as I, as I understand it works a little bit differently. 
Yeah, it certainly does. And and I guess the science um, was, well, the science was born out of research that was done originally for the kids in India and Bangladesh that were dying because of cholera and rotavirus. And these children were losing up to 10 litres of fluid a day. So the oral rehydration solution that the World Health Organisation were providing to the kids, just it just wasn't cutting the mustard. It wasn't, it wasn't you know, doing its job. Um, so they, the World Health Organization presented on this at a conference in Europe in the late 90s and two of our four founders of the science were there uh, and they they got together after the conference and sort of thought to themselves that they could, they'd, they'd been working, they're gastroenterologists, they'd been working um, with resistant starches and doing a number of things with starches around, you know, healthier guts and microbiomes and those sorts of things and they knew there was some fluid absorption capacity out of the large bowel, but they just didn't quite know how to unlock it. So they they connected with a couple of other guys that they knew were were quite well adverse in the um in I guess the 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 use of resistant starches and and so then they went and presented back to the World Health Organization and said, look, from the research we've done, we know that if we put a certain strain or this strain of resistant starch in an oral rehydration solution, the body should absorb those fluids about forty percent more efficiently. So they went and did the study. They rolled it out um, with the World Health Organization, India and Bangladesh, and, and fundamentally reduced fluid loss um, in children from roughly 10 litres a day to 6 litres a day. So that's still a lot, like to lose 6 litres of fluid, but you're saving millions of lives. And so that that was with the basis of the science. And so that was, as I said, that was in the, the, late, early, the late 90s, early 2000s. Fast forward to 2012, and... Flinders University, who was one of the universities where the science sat within in, in Adelaide here in South Australia, um, they had a commercialisation arm and, and the idea of that arm was to find some really cool science and commercialise it and spin it out into a, into a company. Um, so we took some information to Professor Graham Young and said, here's some literature that supports the decreasing performance in athletes when they become dehydrated. So the more dehydrated they are, the more performance skills drop off. So, for example, the Australian cricket summer's just finished. There were some studies done on cricketers that were bowling, and when they got to 2% dehydrated, so not a lot, their bowling accuracy decreased by 17%. So at 17% for a bowler, we've only got six balls in one over. That's one free hit and over for a batsman. Um, so we might think 17% doesn't sound like a lot, but it's a fair bit for a bowler. Um, so that, so we took those sorts of stats to, to Graham and said, would this science that you used in the, with the children in India and Bangladesh, would that work? And he basically just said, well, science's not biased. It, the, the resistant starch is not going to know whether it's in a healthy gut or an unhealthy gait or an athlete or a child or whatever. So of course it'll work. Um, so we went about uh, developing a, a commercial study uh, with the Adelaide Crows Football Club in South Australia in the AFL. And the studies out of that fundamentally showed that the players that used the product, they turned up to they they turned up the training about 300 grams heavier on average um, than those that weren't. And again, 300 grams doesn't sound like a lot, but when you're talking about losing 300 grams in an hour, that's an hour of loss that you don't have to experience because you turned up better hydrated. Um, they lost 27% less body mass during their exercise. Rojam or their two hours of training and in the hour after they regained they regained their body weight 29% faster so when you put all that together they effectively reduced fluid loss or the players that were using it they reduced fluid loss by up to 85% in some cases 
um, which, which is quite remarkable in that setting. So that's, that's where the prep products came into it and where the science came from. And, and you're right, they're completely different in the way that we're not asking anyone to change anything during the hydration strategy from, and most cyclists, if you talk to a cyclist or you talk to a runner, you know, a runner's hydration strategy starts at the first water tap they can find on a, on a park or something like that. They're very rarely drinking if they go for a run in the morning. Um, if you're an afternoon runner, you've probably been running around in the office all day or, do, you know, you could be a construction worker or a tradie or whatever and you've been out in the sun all day and then you try and exercise after work. So you, you're probably already starting dehydrated. So we certainly don't ask anyone to change anything they do in that hydration strategy. We're just the bookends. So the prime product that we have, you consume that sort of 10 to 18 hours beforehand. And that allows that resistant starch that we talk about to get into your gut and allow you to absorb. That, the science says there's about five litres of fluid capacity in our large bowel that we can absorb back into our bloodstream. Um, the vast majority of our fluids that we absorb come from our small intestine. Um, but this will allow us to, to tap into our large intestine and, and absorb fluids from there as well. Okay. So essentially what you're saying unpacked. is... Yeah, let's unpack it. Um, I'm glad you you brought up cricket as well because that's one of my favourite sports that I love watching. I don't think I've ever brought it up on this podcast and so I think a lot of North Americans would be um, introduced <laughs> to that sport now. Um, okay, so <laughs> the, the product itself, so you say it contains some sort of starch-resistant product? Res- some- yeah, so resistant starch, so resistant to digestion in the stomach. So most of our food is digested in the stomach and broken into glucose for absorption in the small intestine back into our bloodstream. And, that, and that's effectively how we fuel ourselves and, and how, we, um, how we stay hydrated. So okay. the resistant starch is resistant to breaking down in the stomach, gets through the small intestine. And, and to that point, resistant starch is a, a promoter of hydration in the small intestine too. So it will, it will optimally boost the amount of fluid that we can absorb from our small intestine. But I guess where it works to its its maximum is when the resistant starch falls into our, our large bowel or into our gut, short-chain fatty acids are produced. So um, it's a chemical reaction that happens in our gut. And, and one of those short-chain fatty acids is a product called butyrate. So butyrate then signals to the brain and says, hey, there's fluid here in our blood in our in our in our gut that we can absorb back into our bloodstream to make sure we're better hydrated. Um, butyrate is also a good source of food for the good bacteria in your gut. So it helps create a healthy microbiome or a healthy gut. Um, and there's a whole host of health benefits that sit around good gut health as well. Um, so that's where our product is, is significantly different to anything else on the market. Um, so then you get on your bike or you go for a run or you're out playing cricket or you're playing NBA basketball or basketball, college basketball, whatever it is, any fluids you consume during that normal exercise program you're just going to absorb those fluids about 40% more efficiently. Okay. Just quickly chiming in here to let you scholars know, I have just updated my five-day injury prevention challenge. This is one email per day for five days, learning new concepts and diving into the science on how you can reduce your risk of injury. The sign-up link is in the show notes, so fill in your details and I'll be waiting for you in email number one tomorrow. And are you sweating less? Because I'm thinking about uh, uh, these footballers that you studied who finish their training sessions um, a little bit heavier, so like losing less sweat. I'm assuming they're not going to the toilet at that stage. So are they sweating less? 
Yeah, it's a great point. And we get this question a lot because people say, well, I need to sweat to cool myself down. It's a natural mm. body's natural cooling system. 100% people still sweat. They, they do. But physiologically, if we think about what happens in a very simplistic term, right? So when, when we start to exercise, the first thing that happens is our heart rate goes up. And then as our heart rate goes up, our sweat rate goes up because our body needs to cool itself. As our sweat rate goes up, we start to dehydrate. So the natural effect of that is our blood starts to thicken. So after, you know, 15 kilometers or 20 kilometers or whatever it is, the thicker your blood gets, the harder it is your heart has to work to keep pumping that body, blood around your body to keep the same output happening. So effectively, your blood is becoming just inefficient at getting around the body the thicker it gets. What our product does is allows that blood to stay a little bit thinner because it's better hydrated. So the better hydrated the blood, the lower your heart rate, which means the lower your sweat rate, which is why we say we push back those cognitive fatigue issues, we push back the cramping fatigue issues, we you know push back, I guess, all of those things that stop us or, or get us to a point where we feel like we can't go on or we're going to have to stop. Um, and so that's what the product does. Yeah. I'm just thinking like on a global perspective, like you're saying, you're retaining more fluid. So more of that fluid is like being absorbed, getting into the bloodstream, getting to the heart, getting to the brain, getting like, you know, just operating yourself more efficiently. And so um, that's where we're sort of seeing those performance, both like mentally and physically seeing those gains. Yeah, absolutely. So the body just, I guess, operates as if it's a hybrid vehicle as opposed to a you know a, a, a diesel guzzling car or, or something like that you know like it, it's just much more efficient in the way that it uses a fluid that comes in um and, and i guess one of the things that some of the you know the founders of our science have said is we certainly aren't camels we can't carry extra water on our back so to speak um, we can in a camel pack or you know in, in your race kits and those sorts of things but that that adds extra weight as well but we do have the ability to tap into this five liters of fluid that just sits in our gut that that if we don't tap into it, that's fine because we just excrete it anyway. We excrete it every other day. Um, but if you can tap into it, well, that's a positive because you're actually you're actually absorbing fluids or you're absorbing stuff that's in your body that that is there and it's readily available. Um, we either use it or we don't. It's as simple as that. Yeah. And so you've mentioned um, the studies around this sort of product um, or similar with um you know, um, populations in like Ethiopia, like child, uh, they need to retain their, their fluid. Um, you talked about the Adelaide football team with their mm -hmm. training. You talked about dehydration for cricketers who lose their accuracy when they're dehydrated. Um, is there any other research or science to point to like performance gains or anything with this particular approach? Yeah, well, actually, just recently, um, we with the tour down under being on here in Adelaide, we had a couple of the teams uh, use use the product. And again, it's anecdotal, but they, they certainly saw numbers in terms of wattage on their bikes. They were able to maintain power for longer. Uh, they were able to recover and hold stronger power at the start of the next stage and those sorts of things. So it certainly um, it certainly lends itself across you know, a wide range of sports and, and just life in general. Um, mm. People being better hydrated at work and that is better efficiency and those sorts of things because they don't need that three o'clock in the afternoon coffee pick-me-up break, which is, you know, generally dehydrated driven. Um, 
we've got mining companies that order the product for for people working in hot humid or hot environments outside in the weather all the time and and people that are you know in the trades industry use the product as well so I guess we do have a bit of a joke within the office that, you know, we started out as this organisation that was targeting elite athletes to help them improve and have performance gains. And then also then the natural fallout of that is your, your, your recreational athlete that wants to tick off a bucket list. Absolutely, they fall into that category as well. But, but we're now seeing the product used far and wide across, you know, a whole host of different industries where people, where it's fundamentally, where people have fluid loss issues um, and this is supporting them to be able to to perform whatever task it is at, at a better level. Yeah, nice. Um, you did mention that you know the prepped sort of solution, the drink is used as bookends. Um, mm. So essentially, take it beforehand so that you get whatever consumption you have thereafter, you're able to retain. Um, but then you mentioned like if it's a bookend, there's something else coming at the other end. So what's that involved? Yeah, so the Recover product that we have, um, so just like there's lots of recovery products out there on the market, uh, our product simply just has half the serve of the resistant starch. And this is why when the the Adelaide Crows footballers, they rehydrated faster post-exercise is because they basically topped up the amount of resistant starch they had in their gut. So the fluids they consume post-exercise, they absorb them more efficiently back into their bloodstream or back into their body. So therefore they recover faster. The faster you recover, the better you are in terms of getting back to your next training session or whatever whatever it is that you're doing. So, so that bookend approach and having a you know a, a sensible and and maintainable or manageable hydration strategy for whatever it is that you're doing is is important. And and our products will just amplify whatever you're using. So we've got people that use a whole host of different hydration strategies in terms of the athletes we work with. Um, but yeah, they just bookend. Their, their training sessions with our products and, and get great results. Yeah. So the idea being retaining more fluid while you're exercising and then, you know, retaining more fluid afterwards so you're better able to recover. Yeah. Um, but so there's like the prime, which you take at the start, the recover, which you take at the end. So they're the mm-hmm. names of the two different solutions and just the recovery solution just has half the amount of that starch in the in it. It does, and then all the electrolytes and salts and sodiums and bits and pieces you need for, I guess, a general recovery product. So you get everything you need from the recovery product, but then that resistance starts, which gives it the ability to, you know, continue to enhance absorption of fluids for that, you know, four to six hours post-exercise, which is really important. Mm. And the amount you would take, I guess, let's just say I'm running a marathon, the amount of the prime stuff that you would take, would that be dependent on how hot or how humid or whatever the conditions are it seems like you take the same and then just make sure during the event that you're um, consuming more fluids yeah you're right there so we they come in 350 mil serves um that that's all you need that's enough starch to get into your into your gut to be able to create the magic that allows you to tap into those additional fluids that we have and then any other fluids that fall in there you you get to absorb them back in your bloodstream as well so you would just take, yep, one before, one after, and away you go. Um, that, okay. It's as simple as that. How about for like, I guess, training sessions? Um, most of my training would be in mornings, you know, maybe 40-minute session, cold. We, we both know now that I don't sweat a lot. Um, <laughs> would 
would the product be best served for those particular training sessions? Would you still recommend those sort of um, taking that approach? Yeah, it's a great question. I think the the thing that we talk about here is that at 2%, if you've lost 2% of your body mass and, and so as, as a low sweater, as, as an average sweater or a high sweater, 2% of your body mass is not hard to lose. At 2%, you've, your performance can drop off by about 30%. At 3%, your cognitive decision-making falls into a category as if you're blown over 0.05 um, from the blood alcohol level in terms of driving a car. So, so that it just goes to show that it doesn't take a lot for that to happen. And, and that dehydration that, that kicks in is um, it's 70% of our body's made up with water. So, you know, we really need to make sure that we're across hydration. And, and I feel that that's one of the things we certainly, it's certainly come a long way in the, in the sort of five or six years that we've been floating around this space talking to sports dietitians and those sorts of things and, and even, you know, your Ironman athletes and these sorts of guys, they, they really talk about, you know, the the five legs of a, of a triathlon or an Ironman event. Yes, you've got your swim, bike, run um, is the three main, but you've got transition and you've got food and food and hydration as the other. And, and fundamentally, you can have a cracking day out, but if you don't get your food and hydration strategy right, and fundamentally... If you don't get your hydration strategy right, your gut can't absorb or your stomach can't work to absorb those foods anyway because your blood gets too thick. And so therefore, you know, your whole system sort of starts to break down. So um, the the hydration piece of who we are as just individual humans is huge in terms of our our ability to perform day-to-day tasks, let alone run a marathon or half marathon or train five times a week. So... Um, my answer to that would be if you're feeling fatigued or if you, regardless of it's a 40-minute session or not, the other key indicator that you can really look at really simply is the colour of your urine. If you get up in the morning and go to the toilet and it's yellow, you, you're probably like most Australians walking around being really dehydrated and not knowing it. There was a study that came out not long ago, and I, I can't think of the name of the study, but it was a study done, um, and it showed that Australians were ranked the least hydrated country in the Western world. Really? Um, yeah. So, so um, no, I mean, we live in a really hot, harsh environment fundamentally. Um, we probably drink too much beer. We probably drink um, too Sounds much right. coffee. And, uh, and so, therefore, and we don't drink enough water just in, in general living. So, to answer your question in a long way around, we would recommend just, just for general hydration for people, the product's never going to hurt. Okay. Got a pressing question for you that I just came up with. Um, hyponatremia, when like athletes, you know, common in marathons is just when people take too much water and sort of dilutes their blood and can have pretty serious consequences because of that. Um, I think, I don't know where the research is, but you know, it it can happen in marathons for runners just Mm. to take too much of that. Um, would, would you caution that or is there certain like recommendations around using this and amongst taking water and making sure that doesn't happen? Yeah. I mean, I'd like, 
I seriously love to um, find the people that overhydrate in a marathon. I know the science is out there, but uh, it's almost impossible, isn't it? Um, to think that you can consume that much fluid that you you uh, put yourself in danger of thinning your blood too much. But look, the product, I guess it's as, as it's because it's based on actual science and real science for for curing or tapping into a reserve a reserve that we have readily available in our body. Um, you know, your, your hydration strategy. So if you go back to, I'm running a marathon. My hydration strategy is, if I've spoken to a sports dietitian or someone like that, you, you'll know what your sweat rate is. So therefore, um, you'll just consume what you need to consume. On, on the flip side, if you're consuming too much, well then, yeah, you're going to be stopping a lot to go to the bathroom because that's eventually going to come through um, because your bladder can only hold so much fluid. So the product is not the product is going to help you absorb fluids optimally. Um, anything that you can't absorb is just going to be passed through um so we haven't heard of that at all so it's a great question mm. but we certainly haven't had any experience with that i suppose now that i'm thinking of it um it's more about not how much you drink but that you, when you when you drink you're only consuming water and you're not consuming any like you know salts or yep. electrolytes or anything like that yep. um so i guess maybe the um it's not it's just like during the marathon what your actual hydration strategy should be some food or some gels or some um, yep. Gatorades or mixtures of those sorts of things, whatever works for yep. people um, and not just replace it just with water. Well, interesting point. So the high sugar, and you certainly need, and we've got a sports dietitian that works with us and, and Sam, I mean, she's a sports dietitian for the Western Bulldogs in the AFL as well and um, also Melbourne United and the NBL. And she's fantastic. So there's always a place for... Um, high sugar drinks. So, you, you know, your Gatorades, Powerades, it's certainly a market for that, absolutely. But in terms of everyday consumption, the the sugar content of those products um, for someone that's working in the office or someone that's just finished a 6K run or, or, or whatever, um, it'll actually they actually dehydrate you. So what happens is this, the high sugar content passes through the stomach, gets into your um, small intestine, where you should absorb all your fluids. And there's, so there's water molecules there that sit in the lining of your intestine, ready to be absorbed back in your bloodstream. When high sugar content foods go through your small intestine, sugar absorbs water. So what happens is the sugar draws the water out of the lining of the intestine, drags it through, and then you excrete it. So, but then, you know, four hours later, you're thirsty again. So you go back to the shop or whatever and buy another one. So great for sales for those, you know, those companies. Um, but fundamentally, it, it's um, for everyday consumption. Like it, it, you don't need it. Like it's too high in sugar and dehydrates you. And I guess that's just one of the things that you know when these products were designed, the prep products were designed. They were designed to be low in sugar because you actually do need some sugar to promote optimal fluid absorption in the small intestine. Um, so you know, you know, sugar drinks as well. You know, they're not going to promote optimal absorption. So if we go back to Australians as a population and being one of the de most dehydrated countries in the world, we've got high sugar drinks, we've got low sugar drinks, but and people have this fear of sugar where, you know, science says you do need some sugar for optimal absorption of fluids in the small intestine to be a, a well-hydrated individual. The other thing just like generally as a whole for, for runners who are like ultra runners or 
used to running in um, humid, hot, humid climate. Are there any particular hydration tips or strategies um, outside the use of this product that might be helpful for them if they're finding like cramping or if they're finding like performance issues and that sort of stuff? Yeah, for um, I guess one of the things we talk about is if you're going to, going to go and say, and again, it comes back to this bucket list event, right? People go, I'm going to go and train for a, a marathon. Call it, it doesn't matter where they're doing the training. And, my, you know, most people, if they're training for a marathon, it's a destination. <laughs> so you, you line up, all right, we're going to do 16 weeks of training or whatever it may be. And you get into that training program. And fundamentally, there's always going to be a few setbacks and injuries and bits and pieces because you're asking your body to do something more than, than, than it has for the last five or 10 years or whatever it may be. And, and you said about doing something that you haven't normally done. And so I, I guess I'm, yeah, I'm talking to the, the, the couch to mar- 5K runner that decides to do a marathon, right? What they miss out on is they miss out on, on enjoying the final piece of the experience, which is actually the marathon, because they haven't run that far in training. They've had some injuries, probably soft tissue injuries, you know, and there's links there between soft tissue injuries and, and dehydration and, and the causes of that. They cramp for, you know, maybe the first time because they've dehydrated in, in the long run. So we would always say that if you just start using the product in training, you get more out of your training and the better base you have or the better training, the better race you have. And so using our products and having a good hydration plan and making sure that you don't just finish the run and grab a a piece of toast with Vegemite on it to head off to work and not eat again until lunchtime. Um, You know, if you're going to do something serious, you've got to do it properly. And so we think just making sure everything is, is put together and, you know, making sure you check in with you have a physio like you know and, and check in with your physio regularly not not when something goes wrong but be proactive as opposed to reactive um we, then it becomes an enjoyable experience and it, it's not only a there's a time commitment there's a financial commitment there's a family commitment because you know if you've got a family and you know you're a 35 year old guy and you think bugger this i haven't done anything for the last 10 years i was a good runner at school and you know messed around and did some stuff but then career and kids and family have got in the way and you jump off the couch and say I'm going to run a marathon well then you're you're away from the family as well so there's a cost to all of that and if you get to the event and you finish it and you say never again I mean that's heartbreaking for me because fundamentally it's great idea okay execution in the training but then when it comes to the day it all falls apart and and we lose someone from recreational sports and activities that never come back again because they were dehydrated and, and didn't plan it out properly in the first place. Yeah. And I think a lot of people can relate to an event leading all the way up to an event and then just having a horrible day for whatever reasons, most of it being like fueling and training purposes. Yep. 100%. I, ran, I remember when I ran the Great Ocean Road Marathon back in 20, I think it was 2006, I ran the Great Ocean Road Marathon and it was a freezing day. Like, there was people that came off that course with hypothermia. It was so cold. Like, they were, oh, it was unbelievably cold. And I just got into a group and was running about, you know, 30 seconds per K faster than I wanted to. But, I, you know, I was just <laughs> caught up in the emotion and hadn't done any hill training. Um, I didn't have a good hydration plan. And 
I got to 32, 33Ks and I was cramping so bad. My hamstrings and calves were shot. And it, it so it just came down to, yeah, I, I didn't train well for it. I didn't execute well on the day. I ran faster than I wanted to. And it took me nine years to come back and run another marathon after that. Um, and, you know, I say that because, you know, I just wouldn't want other people to experience that. Bugger this, I'm never doing that again. That hurt too much. And, and it was, you know, I, I reflect on it now and just go, it would have been so easy to have done it slightly differently and had a much more enjoyable experience along the Great Ocean Road, which is, you know, one of, one of the world's most scenic routes. Yeah. That's what you want to do. You want to enjoy the day. And I guess like, you know, uh, a good performance is just the cherry on top. And like you say, our, if there's something that we can do to retain a lot of that fluid and stay hydrated and be able to perform better and cognitively operate better, um, it's going to execute. Yes, you're going to enjoy the day. Yes, you're going to improve your performance. And so any person, any runner who is looking for you know one percent gains makes a big difference and anyone who's like strength training for like to make two three four percent improvements is massive um so you want to just make sure all those things are really clicking into place yeah when i speak to some of the sports dietitians at afl clubs i you know so some of these the afl footballers they're losing you know four to five kilos a game up to six right so these are highly tuned athletes and i'd say to the sports dietitian i'll say so and these would be clubs that are not using our product and i'll say so fundamentally by the time these players get in at half time they're more than three percent dehydrated so by the end of the game they're well past that they're into the fours and five percent dehydrated zone which, which is like a lot and so I say, would you give those players three or four beers to have at half time and ask them to go out and perform like normally? Like that that is why, you know, that cognitive skill execution piece, they haven't forgotten how to kick a goal in the first quarter. Uh, or even in the NBA, but if, let's say basketball, for example, like the players that miss a free throw at the back end of a game, they haven't forgotten how to do that. It's just a skill execution that comes down to dehydration and the cognitive ability to, to execute on, on your performance. So that's at the elite level. So when you put that back into the everyday runner, they've got no chance. You know, like you try, people try and go and go for a run after, you know, a couple of beers on a Saturday night and they feel not that good on a Sunday morning. That's just dehydration. Um, and so, you know, I just think that if there's a piece of science that sits here that's readily available for people that will make things easier and more enjoyable, that, that's what we're all about. Nice, mate. And if people want to get a hold of this and try it out for themselves, what can they do? Where can they go? Yeah, so we're, we're online. Fundamentally, we're an online e-commerce business. So prepthydration.com.au um, is where they'll find it. And there's a whole host of things on, on our website around there's actually a dehydration calculator um, with some algorithms that sit in the back that, you know, obviously work on sweat rates and, and the like. But it, it just goes to show that if you wanted to run a four-hour marathon and you're 3% dehydrated, you, you'll effectively run about a three-hour, uh, sorry, a four-hour 30 marathon. And so 30 minutes extra after being out there for four hours, that, that's a lot more time to be on your feet and a lot more steps. So 
and that's just pure hydration. So there's those sorts of things. There's all the papers that we've had around where our science came from and how we got to where we are. So yeah, it's a great, great resource for information. Um, and I'm yeah more than happy for people to contact me as well if they've got questions and the like. So any if they send through an info like my the info at Prepped Hydration that comes direct to me because I want to be able to talk to our customers and consumers or people that have got questions around our science. So that yeah, info at prepedhydration.com.au, that comes direct to me. Um, and then I guess you know, we've got all our ambassadors on there that use the products. And and I the thing that I'd call out is every ambassador that we work with, they have used the product before we've actually said they're an ambassador. And so there's a genuine understanding of the product. There's a genuine belief in it's trained, changed the way they've trained or their results that they're getting. And so therefore, you know, authenticity has been really important to us. And so we make sure that the ambassadors that we have are authentic around how they use the product and those sorts of things. So, and I guess Izzy Bat-Doyle, who's, if we're talking about running, and she's an Australian runner, she's represented Australia at the Commonwealth Games and also the Olympics as a 10,000, 5,000 metre runner. Um, and she came back from college. She was over in the US at college. Um, she's at Washington. and constantly injured um, in her training program over there. And, and Izzy said, paraphrasing, basically training program back here hasn't changed a lot. Um, but the couple of the big differences she's added is, is one, prepped hydration um, and more massage and checking in with her, with her physio more regularly um, as a proactive thing as opposed to a reactive thing. So Workload is similar. She's still doing 150 to 170 k's a week, um, but they're probably the things that have changed a little bit. And so they're not wholesale changes um, to a training routine. But she's certainly, and touch wood, um, pretty well been injury free for the last three years. Yeah, good work. Um, and in terms of uh, shipping for the product, um, is it just Australia? Where where can you ship to? No, we ship globally. Um, so that that's easy. Yeah, we're happy to send. Anywhere we, you know, we get orders through from the US um, quite regularly. Um, that you know, we'll jump on, and have a look at the shop, and there'll be another order from the US. And there's a well, we're actually just trying to work in a relationship with a, an online um, group over there called thefeed.com. Um, so that's an online shop that we're trying to get our products ranged in. So um, if people, you know, that are listening from the states, just message the feed saying they'd love to get this product. That'd be that'd be awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, so the feed.com, we're trying to work with them to get on. Um, we do have some product on Amazon. Amazon's just a bit hard for people, I think, in Australia, but the US, it might be okay. Um, but yeah, we sell our tubs, tubs of powder product in the US on, on Amazon. Um, so they're available there as well. Nice. Excellent, mate. Well, um, some good, very nice hydration tips there as well, even just to learn more about the digestive system and the absorption of the... Um, the water and that sort of stuff I found very fascinating and you know talking to another Aussie like I said we talked about cricket talked about beers and I think you chucked some Vegemite in there as well so it's <laughs> all Aussie affair on this on this episode uh, well look we do have a lot of good things down here but uh, <laughs> it look you know the, the globe is a small place and it's nice to be able to connect with a community that that enjoys running, that enjoys exercise. And as I said, you know, one of the things that we talk about a lot here in the office is if we've got a product that allows people just to find their way and get through an event, a bucket list event and enjoy it and say, what's next, not never again, 
while I, we feel like we've played a really important role in, in that little ecosystem that allows people to be fitter and healthier. Good work, mate. Well, thanks for sharing. Um, well done with all the work you've done with Prepped and uh, thanks for sharing the science as well. And um, thanks for coming on to the podcast. Thanks for having me, Brody. Really appreciate your time. And that concludes another Run Smarter lesson. I hope you walk away from this episode feeling empowered and proud to be a Run Smarter scholar. Because when I think of runners like you who are listening, I think of runners who recognize the power of knowledge, who don't just learn, but implement these lessons, who are done with repeating the same injury cycle over and over again, who want to take an educated, active role in their rehab, who are looking for evidence-based long-term solutions and will not accept problematic quick fixes. And last but not least, who serve a cause bigger than themselves and pass on the right information to other runners who need it. I look forward to bringing you another episode and helping you on your Run Smarter path.